Walter scared me there for a minute. He said, let's move them to the nursery. Does that mean, I thought at first, are we going to start over as babes in Christ? But it's, it's a blessing to be overcrowded and have to move. I'd love to see the sanctuary overflowing. It would have to expand the sanctuary, wouldn't you? But anyway, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. And let's, let's keep in prayer, keep our church in our prayers, our pastors away. Let's pray that he and his family will have a good time of rest and he'll bring you back safely. Jeff tore my hair up this morning. He put that headpiece on. I apologize for that. See, I can't, I don't have, I can't see it, so I don't, it don't bother me. Then along comes Greg and gives me this, wires me up with this. So that's the reason I'm here today. I'm wired up. I can't get away from it. But let me tell you, Make sure, God, I don't want to keep you longer than you're used to staying. Let me tell you a little story before we get into the message today. When President Clinton, his first term in office, he went back to his hometown for a summer vacation. When he got back, he went to the old swimming hole where he used to swim. And there were three teenage boys there swimming that day, and our former president Clinton jumped in the water, and he couldn't swim. I know personally a man here in Bristol from Arkansas that taught President Clinton how to swim in Arkansas. But anyway, he jumped in, he couldn't swim. These three teenagers saved him. And he told them, number one teenager, I'll give you anything your hearts desire. What do you want? He said, I want a Corvette fully equipped, paid, and set in front of my house. It will be done. I'll see that you get your car. Young man, what do you want? Well, I want my college paid for, my tuition, my, my dorms, and all my books. I want everything paid for. You select the college of your choice and get accepted and send me the bill, and I'll pay it. Look to the third young man. He said, young man, what do you want? A dozen red roses. Huh, a dozen red roses? He wants a Corvette, and he wants his tuition paid for. May I ask why a dozen red roses? He said, my father's going to kill me when he finds out I helped save President Bill Clinton. (laughs) (laughs) Now let's get down to God's business. (laughs) Let's get down to business. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11, and when you find it, please stand in God's honor. I have mine marked, so I beat you. But I cannot read mine, so you have to bear with me, okay? Are we there? Say amen. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse number 1. And it came to pass, after the time had expired, when most kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab, his servants, and all of Israel, and they destroyed all the children of Ammon and besides Amgon. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit this morning as I speak. Lord, I just pray that souls will be blessed, and Lord, I pray that hearts will be open and they'll receive the word, because we know that the Bible teaches and tells us that your word will not return void. So just be with us today, dear God. Take charge of this service and have it your way. 
Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the blessings. Thank you for the ability to stand your dear God. Just be with us. Bless each one. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. In God's precious name I ask. Amen. You may be seated. Bear with me today, please. Now, I've told you before that I can put whatever face I want to on you because I can't see it. Now, if you've got a frown on your face, I would say, please wipe it off. It takes less muscles to smile than it does to frown. You notice I've got a lot of wrinkles up here. That's because of 80-plus years of age. But anyway, let's look at the story of David. You're all familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba. But let's look at David for a few minutes before we get into the, the message. The voice of the Lord came to Samuel, the prophet, and says, Go down to the house of Jesse and anoint the next king over Israel. Samuel took off. He didn't question God. Who is he going to be? He just went. You know, he told Abraham, you go to a foreign country, and when you find that country, I'll tell you when you get there. They did not question God. So Samuel took off to the house of Jesse. He went down, and I'm sure he made a, an offering. He prayed. Then he went to house, Jesse's house and told Jesse, here's what the Lord has sent me to do. I am to anoint one of your sons as king over Israel. They had a prayer, and Jesse brought the sons in and lined them up. And the first one came by, Samuel. He was a big, handsome brute, well-built, stocky. No, that's not him. Next one came by, and no, that's not him. And the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, not the first one did God say, anoint him, Samuel. That's the king. He turned, Samuel turned to Jesse and says, is there another? Is there another young man someplace that we haven't seen? He said, yes, the youngest man, David, is out in the field with the sheep. Go get him, bring him in. David came to the door and started in. Here he was. You could smell him as soon as he entered the house. The smell of a sheep and the smell of open campfire. That was a shepherd boy. Old Samuel was shaking his head. No, Lord, I must, have missed, I must have missed the call. I missed it when you told me anoint him. This can't be it. He did not argue with the Lord. He did not doubt him. But he spoke to himself. This can't be the man. Young David walked up in front of Samuel. And the Lord spoke to him and says, anoint him. He is my chosen one. Anoint him king over Israel. So Samuel anointed David as the next king over Israel. David did not know, but he was already in training to be the next king. He was out with the sheep. If any of you have any experience at all with sheep, you know they're stubborn, stiff-necked as the Bible speaks. They're stubborn. You can't drive them. You have to lead the sheep. If, a head, if the lead sheep falls over the cliff, the rest will go right with them. They follow. They don't lead. But David was already in training. Little did he know, but God knew he was being trained to lead the people of Israel. He's going to be their next king. And also, when David was growing up, if you recall your Bible, that he was directed. He got a place in the Saul's king. When Saul was king, he got placed in this palace to play the harp for King Saul, to soothe his temper and to let him sleep. He was already in training. God wanted him to learn how to lead sheep. He wanted him to see what was going on in the palace. 
and he was already in training. And there's another parallel to this story. Moses, when he was born, he was one of them that was under two, and that's when Horod wanted all kids under two be slaughtered. And you know what happened to Moses. He's put out in the water and put in the reeds. And Pharaoh's daughter took him in. And for 40 years, Moses lived as Pharaoh's daughter's son. Moses was Pharaoh's grandson. He was in training. Little did Moses know that many years later that he'd be back facing this Pharaoh, asking him to let God's people go. But he was in training. He left there after 40 years, married, and he was on the backside of the mountain herding sheep. He was in training there. God wanted him to be able to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. So he had to train him back on the backfield. And as he was tending the sheep, he came upon this bush, this burning bush. And I have to tell you this story because every time I think of Moses and the burning bush, I have to tell you about George Bush. When he was camping, you probably hear this, but just bear with me. When he was campaigning for election, he was up at Dulles International Airport right outside of Washington, D.C. Walking down the corridor, he saw a man in front of him, long white silk hair, a robe, white robe down to the floor. Ah, that must be Moses. So he went up, tapped him on the shoulder, said, Are you Moses? The man just kept walking, just ignored him. This sort of bothered Bush. He got right in front of him and stopped him. He says, Hey, aren't you Moses? Don't you talk? Can't you speak? He said, Yes, I am Moses. I can talk. The last time I spoke to a bush, I spent 40 years in the wilderness. I spent... So that's, that's all the laughter we're going to have today. Let's... But David was in, already moved into the king's palace. He's in there, and he was to lead the people. But as the Bible scripture says, he tarried at Jerusalem. He did not go to battle. You cannot lead from the backside. Someone had convinced David that he could sit in his posh kingdom, in his big recliner, and conduct the battle that's just going on down the road. Somebody had got to David and convinced him of this. So David stayed home, and he was restless. You know, an idle brain and idle hands is the devil's playground. David spent the day, during the day, and the Bible tells us nothing that he did, but at nighttime he went to bed, which is normal for any anyone being or human being. He went to bed, but he couldn't sleep. God was bothering him. God was troubling him. Have you ever got in a situation that God will not let you rest? At, sometimes I go to bed at night after I say my prayers. I go to bed, and I lay there for 15 or 20 minutes, and... I toss and I tumble. Something's wrong. I just raise up, put my feet on the floor. Okay, Lord, what didn't I do today? Lord, what did I do wrong? And we have a discussion. I go over my prayer list verbally and recount all the things that I did and did not do during the day. And usually it will come to me what I did not do or what I did wrong. And then I'll pray over it, get back in bed, and go to sleep. Do you ever experience that? Is it just me? Is it just the devil after me? I hope not. But I do have those times, and that's what David was experiencing. He couldn't sleep. He got up. 
said he went up on the rooftop. And while he was there, he saw a woman bathing. It had to be in the summertime. She's out on top of the roof taking a bath, and she was naked. David said she was beautiful to look up on. It was just not a glance. He didn't glance at her and keep on going. He stopped and stared at the lady. He had to because he saw she was beautiful. And he went on, went downstairs, and he inquired, Who is this lady up on the roof taking a bath? And they told him, That's Bathsheba. The, son, the, do, the daughter told the daughter, the father who her, called her father by name, the wife of Uriah, one of your soldiers. David sent for her. Bring her over, please. So they went and got Bathsheba and brought her over, and David slept with her. Then after that, he sent her back to her home. Sometime later, you know how long it takes. Back in those days, how long they had to wait before they could determine where she's expecting or not. Today, it's what? The next day? Modern convenience, everything. But back in those days, they had to wait. But anyway, she sent word to David, I am with child, and you are the father. It's yours, David. Now the little cog started turning. Remember, he had tarried. He did not go where he should have been. He should have been up front leading the troops. But no, he stayed behind. He got complacent. He got comfortable. You and I got comfortable back in the 1960s, early 60s. And what happened? This one atheist wanted prayer to be removed from school. Madeline O'Hara. She screamed and she kicked and she clawed and she talked to everybody she could. Finally, it wound up at the Supreme Court. And they removed prayer from school. You could still pray silently, but you could not lead a conducted prayer. Prayer was removed from school, removed from ball games, just about done away with prayer. They went a little bit farther. ACLU got involved. They wanted, in God we trust, removed from the coins got involved with the marriage license. <coughs> they was doing everything because you and I were asleep at the wheel. We did not stand up. And this was David's problem here. He should have been up front with his men, but no, he stayed home. So now the little thing starts turning. How can I get this by me? How can I get this under my feet? How can I get rid of this thing? And she is with child and it's mine. Number one. I know, I'll send for her husband. So he sent for Uriah to come down from the battlefield. Uriah came in, they had some small talk, and they had dinner, and they had probably a glass of wine or two. And He said, now you go down and wash your feet and spend the night with your wife and come back up tomorrow, and we'll prepare you to go back to the battlefield. Uriah left, and I said, a meal followed him. Next morning, when David got up, he found out that Uriah had slept on the doorsteps with the rest of his servants. Did not go down. David asked him, why didn't you go? He said, well, I couldn't. My fellow soldiers are up there. The Ark of the Covenant was up there, and you're sleeping out in the open under a tent. I just couldn't do it. It's not right. Well, David got worried again. That, that system failed on him. That scheme did. He said, okay, Uriah, you stay here today. And have supper with me. And tomorrow we'll get you ready to go back to the battlefield. So Uriah stayed there and they drank and drank and drank. You got Uriah drunk. Okay, now go down and spend the night with your wife. Then come back up tomorrow. We'll get you back to the battlefield. Next morning, the same thing. They told David, 
Uriah didn't go home last night. He slept back on the doorstep. David really got concerned. Rather than going to the Lord and apologize or asking for forgiveness as to what he had done, no, he started scheming again. He said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. Send Uriah down to me. I want to talk to him. Uriah came down. Told him, this is, what I want, this is what's going to happen. But he still didn't, didn't believe it, so David wrote a letter. And he told his commander of the troops in the battlefield, I want you to get close to the wall, close to the gunfire, and put Uriah right up in the front of it, and he will be killed. So he'll be shot and killed. Then I can get rid of this situation. See, David had figured in his mind that if I can get Uriah to come home and sleep with his wife, then when the baby is born or when she starts showing, then Uriah, we're going to have a baby. It'll be years. But things didn't work the way David wanted them, and he had Uriah shot. And after that, he got word that they'd been fighting. It was a fierce battle, and Uriah had been killed. After Bathsheba got over her mourning period, after the loss of her husband, David sent for her and took her as his wife. Not only had he tarried at Jerusalem rather than at battle, he had committed adultery, he had committed murder, and now he had really, shall we say, put the icing on the cake. He had married the wife. She bore a child, but the child did not live. David was down in the temple, down praying, always on his knees, would not eat, would not sleep. The servants were even afraid to go talk to him. Finally, the baby died. The little baby died. What did David do? He got up, he cleaned up, and he went up to the temple and worshipped God. That's where he should have been months before that. He should have been on his knees praying to God to forgive him for his sins. But no, but now he went up and he prayed after the baby had died. And they asked him why. He said, well, while the baby is still alive, I was praying that God would heal her and she'd be okay. But now she's dead, all I can do is go up and worship and pray. And that's exactly what he did. But it did not end there. He was told that he had had problems as long as he lived. He had problems with his son, Absalom. Absalom slept with some of his concubines, his wives. And David was in deep, deep trouble. They told him, the sword will never depart from you as long as this is because of this dirty deeds, what it was. And it never did. He always had problems. His Fought his kids. They had problems with his kids. And all David had to do was to go to battle when he was sent to do battle. When God calls you for something, he'll train you. He'll educate you. He'll teach you for that particular job, just like he did Moses and David. He will not open up your head and pour the knowledge in, but he will provide you the ability to learn to study, to listen to. He'll fix you up with the right people 
so you will get educated and you can fulfill the job he calls you to do. I know when the Lord touched me in 1991, I ran. I ran. And I ran. I didn't want to answer the call. I kept making excuses. I was like, oh, Moses, I can't talk plain. I don't have the gift of gab. I'm not well-versed. I'm not educated in the Bible. I cannot. I kept going. And after about two years, the wife came to me. She got a few pennies from an uncle that left her some money. She said, if you'll go to Bible school, Bible college, I'll pay you tuition, and I'll pay your, all your fees if you'll go. So then I said, okay. At the next service at our church, I remember the sermon that Brother Darrell was preaching, stir up that gift. And he did. That night the gift got stirred up, and I went forward and announced my calling. And I did go to Bible college for two years. And after two years, I was in my 60s, and I made this comment, i got to get out of here because if I stay for another two or three years, I won't be able to get them to the pulpit. So I got out at the age of about 62, 63, and I've been trying my best to preach ever since. But uh, God will make the way for you. He will prepare the way. He will not give it to you on the hand. Some people think all you've got to do when God calls you to preach is get in the pulpit and open your mouth and the words come out. It don't work that way, does it, Eric? You've got to go to school. You've got to learn. You've got to study. But anyway, I've been trying to do God's work for 20-some years. I'm doing the best I can. And he has made things available to me. I know I can't read the Bible. It's hard to run references. But I carry a couple of these, these little gadgets around with me, over and above my VCRs and my CDs. And you'll be surprised what you can get. I have two of these from the Blind Association. One I keep the New Testament on, and the one I keep the Old Testament. The only thing about it, it's hard to run references, and you need to study. But this one just tells me what, I, what I'm studying, talking about today, about Second, second Samuel. But anyway, if God lays his hand up on you, there's no need to run. I ran till I ran out of excuses. And then I just said, okay, okay, what do you want, Lord? And that's when he told me. And I did go to school, and I did learn a few things, and I'm still learning every day. So if you're here today, and God is dealing with you, I can't think of a better time than right now to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, and he will take care of the rest of it. So as we close today, Brother Todd calls it the invitation or the response time. Some of us call it altar time. It doesn't make any difference. If God has been speaking to you today, to your heart, telling you to go to the altar and pray, or whatever it is, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Respond. Obey the Lord. Don't run because you can't outrun him. You cannot outrun him. I got tired. I ran out of excuses, and I quit. Don't run. You're wasting your time. So let's stand. If you're here today and you need to come to this altar, we're going to open it up. It's open for whatever you have to do business with. Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to stand here before the congregation. Dear God, if there's one here that don't know you, know that as Lord and Savior of their life, I pray, Lord, that you'll touch that or those hearts and they'll come to you before it's everlasting too late. 
Lord, we know you're still on the throne. We know you're still in charge. We just ask you, dear God, to touch hearts today. Be with us and guide us. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. As we sing.